This is a season of recalibrating our hearts to the Lord. Recalibration is a big deal. It matters because if you're not calibrated correctly, you understand calibration, right? It's like there's, there's what is right, and then there's something else that you want to align to it. Every measuring stick you've ever used in your life was calibrated to something else. Like, like this is right, so you take something else and match it. Okay, that's a foot. Yep, there we go. We got a foot. We want to recalibrate our lives according to God's plan. This Recalibration really matters. Let me tell you a story. In um, 1979, they started working on this thing called the Hubble Telescope. Where they, they didn't start, but they were do, doing this uh, uh, telescope. They were working on it. And in 1979, they, they polished a mirror. And they had measuring devices that they used when they polished the mirror. And there was one measuring device that was not properly calibrated. They failed to check it. They failed to get it right. And so they polished the mirror according to what the device said was the measurement. But the device was wrong. And so in 1990, they put up the Hubble Space Telescope and they said, we're going to get the best images of the heavens that anyone's ever seen. And it came out a little bit disappointing. It was a little bit uh, like this. Still cool, but fuzzy, a little fuzzy. And they, they said, oh, no, we, we spent all that money, all those millions to get that thing up into outer space. And now we get blurry. What do we do? And come to find out, that's when they realized, whoops, they didn't recalibrate the device that measured the polisher of the mirror. And so they had to go back up three years later. In, in 1993, they put in uh, optics, kind of like they gave, they gave Hubble telescope uh, glasses to repair what the, the mirror had messed up. And so then they were able to see the heavens more clearly. It looked a little bit more like this. Same image, just more clearly. That's what it was supposed to be like in 1990, but they couldn't see it that way. Why? Because there was a device that was not properly calibrated. The heavens are not seen as clear as they could be until you're calibrated. We need to calibrate our lives to the Lord. This matters because life is so, maybe your life is boring and, and like it's just quiet, but I think life is busy. Life is filled with noise. It's movement. There's people coming. They say, okay, and it just kind of whacks you off, off kilter a little bit and things are busy and people got expectations and they're con- one boss says one thing, but the company president said the other thing. And what am I supposed to do? You can't get your act together. Life is so unnerving sometimes that it's vital that we as Christians recalibrate from time to time. Just make sure we're still on track. Are we still connected? We understand this in a a lot of things. We use this idea of recalibration in all sorts of things in our life. Uh, Eyesight has a drift to it. I went and had to get my eyes checked because I couldn't get contacts unless I had a doctor go, yep, this is what your prescription is. And my eyesight got just a tiny bit worse. There's a drift to it. So my prescription had to be recalibrated. This is why your boss will do employee evaluations. Without employee evaluations, eventually some employees at least will get slack or stagnant. And employee evaluations help you recalibrate to the vision of the organization. This is why the government makes you come in to recalibrate your driver's license. Every so often it expires and you have to go in and they have to make sure that you're still qualified to get behind a really heavy piece of machinery, which could kill someone if you can't see or if you can't think clearly. 
if you can't react. So they, from time to time, you have to recalibrate your ability to drive a vehicle. If you've changed jobs or schools, you know, anytime you start something new, it's like a whole new recalibration for your life. It's like a fresh start. You get excited at the beginning of it. And that's what we're doing during these 21 days of prayer. It's a recalibration. It's a fresh start. We're just making sure. If you weren't hungry for a few days, if you went a few days without eating and you weren't even hungry, how many know you need to go see a doctor? Something's wrong with you. You're supposed to get hungry. If you go a few days without reading your Bible or praying or engaging with God, if you can go a few days and not be hungry for spiritual things, you might be sick. You might be sick. And, and you need recalibration. When we are properly calibrated to God's plan, we will be hungry for more of God. Spiritual hunger is different than any, any other kind of hunger. When, I, when my tummy gets hungry, I can eat a cheeseburger and the hunger goes away. But spiritual hunger is different. When you're spiritually hungry and you get more of God, you just want more. You just want more. When you're properly calibrated to God's plan, you will be hungry for God. So if you're not dying to read your Bible by the end of the day, if you haven't, I would propose to you that you need some recalibration. You may not think so. You may be content. Boy, is that a trick of the enemy. Contentment. You, you may be content with how much you know God. I know God enough to get into heaven. Like, okay. Just hear me out here. That, that's an easy thought. Like, I, I know God enough. Why, why do I need to keep pursuing God? What? I just tell him. So, you know, Jesus died, bridged the gap between us and God, and he's paid my price. Got it. I get it. I'm saved. If you think about it, that's, if you think about it, that's actually kind of selfish. You wouldn't say to a boy, if you're dating, you wouldn't say to a boyfriend or girlfriend, why do you keep asking me questions? I know you well enough. You wouldn't say that. You'd probably get slapped if you did and deserve it. What I'm saying is this. This isn't just about you knowing God. This is about God knowing you. That's good, Pastor Adam. You preach it. Thank you. This isn't just about you knowing God. This is about God knowing you. Relationships go both ways, right? So, so I'm, I'm saying cal- recalibrate your heart to the Lord. Seek after God. But listen, God's seeking you too. God's seeking you too. He did it at the very beginning in Genesis. Uh, uh, Adam had sinned. Adam and Eve had sinned and they, they hid. God knew full well what Adam and Eve had done, but he didn't experience it. And so what did God do? Here it is. Genesis 3, 9. The Lord called to the man. Where are you? Now God's either stupid, which he's not, or he wants us to know. That he's looking for us. Where are you? Where are you? And you can say, yeah, yeah, Pastor Adam, that was a long time ago. We're not in Genesis. This isn't Eden. Okay, so let's go to the end. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In Genesis and in Revelation, it's very clear. We serve a God that is looking for us. We serve a God that wants us. John, uh, John 4.23, Jesus says to the Samaritan, the, the, the lady at the well, the Samaritan lady at the well, he says, the Father is seeking true worshipers. 
God's looking for you. Perhaps more than you're looking for him. And that's the tragedy of it all. This isn't just about you knowing God, but this is about God knowing you. Have you ever considered that it's possible for you to know God and him not to know you? If you're not properly calibrated, it's very possible. It's very possible. Jesus taught us this in uh, Matthew chapter 7. He says, many will say to me on that day, he's talking about the end times, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I, I, I never knew you. Church, we need to get recalibrated. We need to get calibrated and recalibrated. And tomorrow, do it again. This matters. This idea of, uh, really, it's, it's, I mean, I, I'm with you sometimes. There's, there's times where just apathy kicks in or, that's eh, enough. That's eh, enough. Good enough to move on. But we need to recalibrate. Let's make sure God knows us. Today, I want to get really, really practical. I felt like God wanted me today to talk about how to recalibrate, and I want to provide for you some tools, and I'm calling this message the toolkit for recalibration. If you need to recalibrate your own spiritual heart, here are some tools you can pull out of a toolkit to recalibrate your own heart. Here's the first tool. Number one, self-control. Self-control can recalibrate your heart. This is a tool to recalibrate. It's actually one of the fruit of the Spirit. So that means the more God you have, the easier this is. If you have the Spirit of God in you, and you say, God, take over. The more you surrender to God, fruit just comes out. An apple tree doesn't have to push out an apple. It just is. And apples come. So the fruit of the Spirit will come out of anyone who's walking in the light, right? So, so this isn't as hard as it, as it could be. Just, it's making God bigger in your life. The Apostle Paul was writing, uh, and the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, some Christians in a city called Corinth. If you lived in Corinth, you were called a Corinthian. And so he, he wrote to them, and he said, he said this. Let's, let's read what he said. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. It's going to take some self-control. He talks about that a little bit more. They do it to get the crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow. Everybody say, strike a blow. I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If we don't recalibrate our lives around Christ, we're going to be running aimlessly. And fighting as we beat the air. There's too many Christians walking around. Yeah, 20 of my church is doing 21 days of prayer. They start bumping into stuff. Like, engage. It's not just a Facebook post. It's a condition of your heart. We can run aimlessly. Or by, just imagine a, like, like a, like a, um, kids, you know, kids see movies and stuff. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to fight. Like, yeah. Is that what our prayers are? Because according to that passage, there's some people that are fighting spiritual fights like a boxer beating the air. So, 
We strike a blow to our body. This isn't about punishing ourselves. But the, the idea in the Greek is, is we, uh, we, um, we treat our body harshly. We treat our physical desires harshly in order to align them with God. Let me give you some examples. I don't want to wake up. Strike a blow. Get up. I don't feel like praying. Strike a blow. Strike a blow. So wait, you don't feel it. You don't feel it because you haven't eaten. You're sick. You're sick. So feed it and you'll get hungry again. Uh, it's Sunday morning and I'm tired and my mind just needs to veg out. Do you know what kind of week I had? My mind just needs to veg out. Strike a blow. You feel God calling you to read your Bible. You feel that little nudge. I can read my Bible. Like that thought went through your head. I can read my Bible. And you think you might hear the Bible calling your name. But NCIS is also calling your name. (laughs) Which do you do? Strike a blow. No. There's some things that my flesh wants to do. I'm just going to say no. I'm striking a blow to my body. So I can fight for God. Here's the second tool in your toolkit. Number two, simplicity. This tool is about removing distractions in your life so you can focus on what matters most. The psalmist says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. Everybody say undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. See, if your heart's divided, you got too much going on. God wants our heart united so we can be focused on him. How do you do that? You get rid of the other stuff. It actually tells us in Proverbs, this is how, how you do it. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. That unites our heart towards God. Fix your eyes directly before you. Or another way to put it is in the message translation does that same verse. It says, ignore all sideshows. Ignore all the sideshow distractions. To live a simple life, you got to cut out the sideshow distractions. Simplify your life. It means cut out other things. The Gospels tell a story about Mary and Martha. And Martha was busy doing a bunch of stuff that was good. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha's like, Jesus, make her help me. He's like, no, this is good. All that other stuff doesn't matter so much. Just make peanut butter and jelly. It's cool. Just get over here. You can hear my heart. You can hear from me. Have an undivided heart. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Another way to say that. When we talk about 21 days of prayer, and again, what we're doing in 21 days of prayer, is, it's on our website. There's ways you can engage with us every single day in these 21 days of prayer. Um, and, I, and I hope you do take advantage of that. But as I encourage you to pray every day, some of you are thinking, how am I going to fit that in? Exactly. Exactly. You got 24 hours in your day. Me too. You're very, very busy. You have things with your family. You have things at work. You have things at school. Yes, me too. We all got the same amount to deal with. So if you normally fill up your 24 hours with things besides God, if you're going to have an undivided heart, ignore the sideshow distractions. You got to cut something out is what I'm saying. Cut something out. There's something in your 24, day, 24 hours in your day. There's something that you don't need. Like, you'll live without Facebook. You can live. Like, it's, it's a lot of, believe it or not, generations have lived without it. 
Yep. My mom thought real was something in a movie theater. Reels. <laughs> See? See? She doesn't know what reels are. Yeah, somebody, so, okay, never mind. I'm just going to keep going. When you do that, when you live a simpler life, cut something out. When you cut something out, number three becomes a little bit easier. Here's number three, meditation. Meditation. Christian meditation is a whole lot different than what a lot of people think meditation is. It's actually in the Bible. I'm not teaching you something wacky here today. Meditation is in the Bible. Psalm 119 says, I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. That's what I'm talking about when I say meditation. Do that. Obey the Bible. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. Um, Wikipedia encourages us to, to, or teaches this idea about meditation, and I agree with this. Meditation has proven difficult to define as it covers a wide range of dissimilar practices in different traditions. Yes. It's difficult to define because what one person means when they say meditation is not what another person means when they say meditation. Trans, uh, trans, I can't say it. Transcendental, there we go. Transcendental meditation and similar practices are very religious. They're just not Christian. Many meditation practices are very religious. They're not Christian, though. Let me explain. What is not Christian? I want you to know what's not Christian so you don't cross the line, okay? Here's three things that are not Christian in meditation. Focusing on anything that's not Jesus. If you're encouraged to focus on anything that's not Jesus, Number two, looking inward and recognizing the power or recognizing the divine within yourself. If you're encouraged to recognize the divine within yourself, they're not referring to Jesus. You are not divine. If there's anything good in me, it's because of God. If there's anything good in me, it's because because of Jesus in me. And so I'm not looking inward to find goodness or, or, or wonderfulness. I'm looking, I'm looking at Jesus because if there's anything good in me, it's him. And I want more of him, not more of me. I want more of him. Number third, uh, number third. What's not Christian? Trying to achieve a higher state of internal thoughts. That's something that's also not, not Christian. There is no power within. That's a lie. Christians look to Jesus, not themselves. So Christians meditate when they focus their mind on God and open their mind to God. Not the God of yourself, but Jesus, creator of the universe and savior that changes my heart. It really boils down to to what are you meditating on. We need to be meditating on what's honoring to God. May it be true of us that we can say what the psalmist said. May these words out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Christian meditation includes at least two things. Here's the first thing it includes. Meditation is listening. Listening and focusing. I'll, I'll, listening is this. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice, Jesus said. The sheep know the voice of Jesus. I know them and they follow me. During these 21 days of prayer and beyond, I encourage you, listen. Listen. Talk to God and shut up. Talk and stop. Open your mind to the Lord. Allow Jesus to speak to you. Some ways I do that. It helps me to be in a quiet place. That's one thing that helps me. It helps me 
to actually start writing down some things I want to say to God, because it focuses, it forces me to slow down if I write down what I want to say to God, because I can't write as fast as I can think. So if I'm writing, I'm slowing down. And if I'm slowing down, I hear better. Just something that helps me. And then sometimes I hear a little thought pop into my mind. Thank you, Lord, for guiding me to that. I know what to do. So meditation includes listening. It also includes focusing. Your mind's always going to be focused on something. Unless you're a guy. There's Some men are just like, what? It happens. Like, guys, you know it. That's why, why your wife could be in the other room. Honey, did you hear me? No, they didn't. Because our brains just shut off sometimes. But most of the time, our brains can focus on something. Our brains can focus on something. So what are you focusing your mind on? I encourage you, meditate on what God wants you to meditate on. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we can fixate our mind on garbage. We can fixate our minds on the lies of the enemy. Or we can do what Philippians 4.8 tells us to do. All right, here's the fourth tool. You got, I'm giving you a little toolkit. I want you to pull these tools out of your toolkit to recalibrate your heart. Number four is community. Community. Um, I think this is interesting that the Lord prompted me for this because when you think about prayer... What I've heard so often preached about is how Jesus went off by himself to pray. Like, not community. And it is biblical to get off by yourself. There is, like, like simplicity uh, and meditation. Those things are really good to do on your own. But you cannot follow the Jesus life and live like a hermit. You can't be recluse. And follow Jesus at the same time. He, Jesus went off by himself to pray, but he didn't stay that way. He did that to go back out. It's like, like he had a rhythm in his life. He, he, there's, there's winter when all the juice goes down into the ground of a tree. There's winter so that there is spring. Someone in Florida once told me that they lived in Indiana. They moved down to Florida. One thing they miss in Florida, they love the weather, except they don't have a spring. There's no spring in Florida. Solitary living is not the way we realign our life with Jesus. It's just, it's just not. If you want to recalibrate yourself to the, to the Jesus life, do not isolate yourself. Don't do it. You need the church. You have, if you have faith today, if you're a Christian today, it's because the church carried faith to you. The church carried that opportunity to you. If there was no church, everyone here heard about Jesus because of the faithful witness of the church. So don't live like a recluse. This is very biblical. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Let's really look at the deeper meaning of this passage. Two are better than one. I'm not sure what the Da Vinci Code is on that one. Seems pretty obvious. I don't think there's much of a secret. There's a lot of scriptures we can't obey unless I have you. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. How can I do that if there's not an each other? 
Is there any each other in your life? I hope there is. I hope there is. That's why if you come to church here, uh, it won't be long before at some point somebody's going to turn around you. When, when we say, before you sit down, turn to the person in front of her or behind you or around you and give them a fist bump. Somebody's going to encourage you and you have a chance to encourage somebody else. Why? Because it's how we recalibrate our hearts to the Lord. We need to carry each other's burdens. And if you're looking for the presence of God, that's really what we want during the 21 days of prayer, isn't it? The presence of God. You want to know how to find God? It's right here. It's pretty obvious. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. Jesus said that. If you're looking for Jesus, he's here. Let me check. One, two, three. Yep. He's here. Saturday at 10 a.m., we're going to have a prayer meeting again. During our 20, we have a prayer meeting every Saturday at 10 a.m., but during these 21 days of prayer, it's moved into this room to make room for more people. I encourage you, get here, 10 a.m., don't live like a recluse. I'm not saying if you're not here, then you're a recluse, you're a hermit, but you should try. You should try. You'll love it. 10 a.m. this Saturday. Every Sunday or every morning, if you get up and do the prayer meetings with us live at 7 a.m., they're actually live at 7, remember, you're not doing it by yourself. You have a sense of, I have a sense of like, there's, a, there's thousands of churches doing this with me right now. At this exact moment. We get to live in community. Here's number five. The fifth tool, uh, tool we can pull out of our toolkit. Stewardship. Stewardship helps us realign our heart to God's mission. There is a connection between how we handle our money and experiencing the true riches of Jesus. There is a connection. It is not like, oh, it's physical and this is spiritual. There is a connection. Luke 16, 11 says, uh, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will you trust with your true riches? The Bible is very, very clear. It teaches us something about our money and our trust, money and our heart. Matthew six twenty one: for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because of this verse, like, I'm inclined to say that stewardship of our finances might quite possibly be the lead indicator of our calibration. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like, it's what it says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if I'm talking about recalibrating our heart to the Lord, where's your treasure? That's, that's what it says, okay? That verse could say, where you put your money defines where your heart's calibrated to. It could. God's principle is proportionate giving. We believe in the tithe. Tithe, The word tithe means 10%. And the Bible tells us that it belongs in the storehouse. I believe the storehouse is your local church. It's merely returning a portion of what belongs to him. All of it's his. And he's asked for... This portion that belongs to him. And we get blessed when we give back that, that 10% to the Lord. We get blessed. I would rather live off at 90% of blessed than 100% of unblessed. It's really, that the tithe is really not generosity. It's more like not stealing, really. But I, I someone didn't like that, I'm sorry. 
people worshiping with a fun line, and there was just a baby that cried. So that was the joke. <laughs> Me and my wife, we give our tithe, and we go above and beyond that as well. And we have an opportunity for you to give above and beyond in the coming up next week. We're going to have our Heart for the House offering next week on August 20th. Uh, this isn't your tithe. I encourage you to give your tithe. But if you want to go above and beyond that, we're going to have another offering box right next to it. That's an opportunity for you to give above and beyond. Here's what we're doing. God has called us to plan a second location. I believe that. It's been very clear to me that God over and over has, has confirmed it. And there's been some miracles that took place that just blew my mind that showed me, yes, this is what God is calling us to do. So that vision is there, but it's very expensive. Blueprints are crazy expensive. We need, we need to renovate the other location is what we're doing. Uh, HVAC is very expensive. Electrical is very expensive. Walls are expensive, but fire-rated walls? Woo-hoo, more. Audio-visual systems cost money. And we have the vision for it, and we're going to move forward at the pace of resources. And praise the Lord, we've been awarded a $15,000 grant, a matching $15,000 grant. So we have a goal next week to match it, to match it. And that's going to release the $15,000 from a Centers for Congregation that's awarded us this. Uh, And I want you to pray about what God would want you to give. If he doesn't answer, if he doesn't tell you to give anything then don't disobey him. But if he tells you to give something, well, then don't disobey him. Let me say this. Seed planted in God's kingdom never goes unnoticed. Seed planted in God's kingdom never goes unnoticed. Over 20 years ago, this church planted seed in a young pastor named Matt Keller. He's from our area. And he planted a church in southwest Florida. And uh, he wound up feeling very abandoned, and probably was. And this church believed in him when very few others did. Seed planted in God's kingdom never goes unnoticed. When Pastor Matt heard and understood our situation of purchasing our second location on the south side of Auburn, he was moved, and God spoke to him. And he knew that seed in God's kingdom never goes unnoticed. And he gave us $250,000 so we could purchase that property. Yeah. Praise the Lord. God is behind this. Next Level Church enabled us to purchase that building free and clear. God is behind this. Seed planted in God's kingdom never goes unnoticed. This church invested in him when no one else did. And then he came alongside us and supported us 20 years later. Can you believe it? I'm one of the people. This is really how I see it. I'm one of the people that gave to this building project right here as a child. Our church was encouraging everyone to to give to the building fund and make a pledge. I made a pledge, and I went above and beyond my 10% of my allowance. And so I have, here's what I'm trying to say. If you plant financial seed in God's kingdom and you align your kingdom with God's, uh, sorry, you align your life with God's kingdom, you will see produce. It may not be financial, but you will. You will. I gave above and beyond my 10%. 
of my allowance to help this building be built. And so when I see that door or walls or lights, I'm like, yep, I did that. It might have totaled $14.21, but I did that. I was a part of that. I was. And I get to see the produce. This is just today. One of our services. I get to see the produce. Some of you are in that same boat. You, you, you helped and you got to see it. Others of you are sitting in a chair that you had absolutely no influence in purchasing. You did not make that chair happen. Somebody else made that chair happen for you. Isn't it comfy? Isn't it nice? We all get to sit here and enjoy the air conditioning. So glad that the air conditioning just miraculously showed up. It just popped up. Now, somebody else went before you. Somebody else went before you. I was one of them. All $14.21 of it. Somebody else went before you. We have an opportunity to go before somebody. At our South Auburn location, there will be people that receive Jesus there. There will be lives that are changed. There will be lives that will grow. People that, that are ready to grow. Take their next step in Jesus. And there's something special in our church. They're ready. And they'll take their next step. And you'll have the opportunity to go in front of them. They're going to sit in some chairs. They're going to sit in some rooms and enjoy some lights and air conditioning that they didn't have anything to do with. But it'll be there. Because you did what God said. You have a chance to do that for someone else. We get to go first to make the South Auburn location possible. So, so here's my, my challenge. I, I'm really hoping everyone can participate. If God tells you, I want you to participate, ask God. This is what I want you to do. Ask God. A hundred percent of us can do that. We can ask God. Do you want me to give something next week? Every one of us should do it. Do you want me to give something next week? So please pray about that. All right, so stewardship is a significant tool in our toolkit to recalibrate our life to the Lord. Here's the number six, devotions. That's the last tool we can pull out of our toolkit, devotions. We recalibrate our life with devotions. This is very simply doing it, doing it. Devotions includes the Bible. Romans tells us everything written in the past was written to teach us. The scriptures give us strength to go on, and they encourage us, and they give us hope. So I encourage you, use that Bible of yours. Use that Bible of yours. If you're not sure how to, a lot gets said about studying the Bible, and I encourage you to study it if you know how to study it, but don't let that make you feel ill-equipped. Read the thing. Read the thing. Let me give you a really simple way of Scripture, okay? I want to encourage us to soap the Bible. Soap. S-O-A-P. Soap. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Scripture, observe, apply, pray it. So the Scripture could be John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's my Scripture. And I can observe. Just God, like let God make something come out to you. God loves me. God loves me. That's what I can observe. God loves me. And I can apply that. God loves me. Why? God loves me so I can love others. So I can love others. And then I can pray, Lord, help me love 
others today. I've got a coworker that's a jerk and it is so hard to love him. But let me love because you loved me. Let me pass it on. That's soaping. That's soaping. You can soap the Bible. Second part of devotions, uh, worship. Psalm 71, 8 says, I'm always singing about your wonderful, the wonderful things you do. So worship. You can soap. You can also soak. You can soak in the presence of God. If you know how to use Spotify, you're, you got every tool you need. Or, uh, or the radio. Or a CD. Uh, move. Move your heart towards God. Move your heart towards God. Maybe you need to get some music. Maybe you need to, need to take a walk. So we soap the Bible. We soak in the presence of God. And we seek the presence of God. Amen. Soap, soak, seek. That's prayer. Prayer. We seek the presence of God in prayer. The Pray First app is a great tool. Pray First booklets are available to help you at the information table. I want you to grow. I want you to grow, and, and that booklet can help you. It's just talking to God. He loves you, and he wants to have a conversation with you, too. Soap, soak, seek. Would you stand with me? I've read some accounts of revival on, uh, there's this website uh, called Romans1015.com, Romans1015.com. And there's several accounts of revival that are written there. And do you know what many of them have in common? Revivals started with somebody somewhere recalibrating. We could have revival when we, we will have revival of some kind when we recalibrate our heart to the Lord. Whether it was people like Martin Luther or Zwingli said, this church, the way the church is working, this Catholic church, this is the Reformation time when they were doing some things that were absolutely not biblical. They had to recalibrate. That's not right. You pay money and then you get forgiven. That's not how that works. And they recalibrated to the truth. Or it was people that you may not have heard of, Jeremiah Lanfear, who just started praying all on his own. His first prayer meeting started with one person. And in six months, he had 10,000 people praying with him at the same time in the mid-1800s. Revival is recalibration. Really, if you're going to recalibrate, that means surrender. If you're going to recalibrate, like you've, you've calibrated your life, how it makes sense to your brain. So if we're going to calibrate to God, it requires surrender. Recalibration is surrender. It's repenting. Like, I almost had it. I was a little bit off. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to adjust a little bit right here. Lord, I pray that your church would be a church that's recalibrated and surrendered to you.